Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 167. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 167 you're listening to. My guest today is mixer Billy Decker out of Nashville, Tennessee, Nebraska transplant. He's worked with uh, Kenny Chesney, Darius Rucker, Jason Aldean, Jamie Lynn Spears, uh, Parma Lee, Sam Hunt, and a host of others. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm really happy to have Billy on. He came onto my radar because I was actually sitting reading a copy of Sound on Sound. And I mentioned this in the interview. I never do this, but I came across this article. And within the first couple paragraphs, I pulled out a highlighter and sat down and started to go through that article with a fine tooth comb, just highlighting all of the details. And I'll tell you why. What caught my attention about Billy is the speed at which he mixes and how efficient he is. And then, of course, you know, you read that and you think, okay, well, that's fine, but what does this stuff sound like? So I went and hunted down a bunch of stuff that he's mixed and my jaw dropped. He is mixing top, you know, billboard charting songs, many of them number one on the billboard charts. I had to dig into this from a music business perspective. Billy has been quite successful. Billy does this all with templates and he does it all in the box. So we're going to dig into that with Billy. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Billy Decker coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, I want to make sure and turn you on to this. This is uh, something that I have to thank former WCA alum Reed Shippen for. He posted it and uh, I checked it out and really think it's great. Uh, it's a product that competes with Source Connect and uh, Rogue Amoeba's NiceCast, which uh, both are cool, both have their quirks. So if some of those quirks bug you, you might want to check out this product from audiomovers.com. And it's called Listen To. And what it allows you to do in short is, let's say I'm working on a mix and I want a client in wherever they are geographically to listen to it in real time or near real time. And what I'll do is I'll put that plug in on my stereo bus and then it will generate a URL and a password. Well, I can set the password and then I can give that to the client. They can log in and they can actually listen as I'm mixing if they want uh, or listen in on a session. Let's say you're a producer listening in on a session. That's another use for it. Many uses for this, but uh, if you are familiar with NiceCast or Source Connect, then you should check it out. It's audiomovers.com. Like I say, I'll put a link in the show notes for you to check it out. Really cool. Also something I want to turn you on to, not sure if you're familiar with the concept of uh, CRM software, Customer Relation Manager. Not something audio folks typically know that much about unless it has to do with maybe something they do in their day job. But what it allows you to do really is uh, manage your clients, manage your communication with them to track what you're doing with them. So if you send an email to somebody and they reply back, uh, CRM software typically can track whether or not they open that email. Also, it can allow you to set reminders for yourself to follow up with somebody. Let's say somebody emails you and says, yeah, I'll have an answer for you in a week. Well, most people would forget to email them back and follow up. Well, a, a piece of CRM software allows you to typically uh, make a note to yourself, a uh, little reminder to check back with that client in a week. And that's, you know, just kind of a way of staying on top of your gig. So a lot of choices out there. And 
uh, I've been turned on to a couple different ones. One of them was close.io. It's a pretty full featured CRM software. Um, the downside in my perspective is, is it's $65 a month and maybe that's not in your budget. And also for me, I'm a big Gmail user. So what I needed was was better Gmail integration. And I found it in a company that does a thing called ProsperWorks. And it's actually $20 a month. And it integrates better with Gmail. If that sounds remotely interesting to you and staying on top of your clients and just being a little more proactive, you know, and if you're losing gigs because you're not following up, this would be something that you should check out. So once again, I'll put that a link to both Close.io and ProsperWorks in the show notes. You can check it out. Download a free trial and then you can see what you think. All right. Before we get into our interview with Billy Decker, I want to remind you to head on over to gearsluts.com and pay our friends over there a visit. Visit the uh, Gearsluts Classifieds as well as uh, the Audio Live Subform. Those are two of my favorite things to visit. Awesome. Also, be sure and stop over and visit our friends over at Universal Audio. That's at uaudio.com. They have a new UAD software download available, version 9.5. That includes the uh, Helios Type 69 preamp and EQ collection, the ADA Flanger, the Fridman Buxom Betty, and uh, that's available at uaudio.com for UAD Systems. Yeah, be sure and check that out. Well, let's get down to it. Let's have a chat with our friend in Nashville, Billy Decker, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, thank you. It's a, a real pleasure to have you on. And I got to preface this whole thing so you understand where I'm coming from. I'm sitting here one day reading Sound on Sound, and I flip to this page and I see this article with you and I start to read it and my jaw almost fell off my face. <laughs> and I said, this guy's mixing stuff in two hours using templates in Pro Tools. I've never done this, Billy. I sat down, I got a cup of coffee and a highlighter. Okay. And I just read through that article and I highlighted all the points that were important to me. I never do that. Really? Ever with anybody's article. And then... I said, I got I to gotta reach out to Billy. So I, I emailed you. You emailed me back quite quick. And then the next thing I know, you're on Bobby Osinski's podcast. And then right after that, you're on my buddy uh, Brian Hood and Chris Graham's show on the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on world tour right now, I guess, after the SOS article. <laughs> I thought I was going to turn on the TV and see you at some point because I thought, oh, what, what are the odds that this guy is now uh, in my world so much? So- all that said, welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I have a million questions for you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm flattered. I could have saved you 50 cents on your highlighter if you would have just uh, called me. I'll tell you everything I know. I got no secrets, <laughs> and anything I do, I, I probably stole from somebody else, so I'm an open book. So I'll, I'll give <laughs> well, your Sharpie back. How about that, your highlighter? That's, that sounds you. good. I, you, you'll send me a new highlighter. <laughs> Let's jump right into this because I'm sure people who are listening are wondering what the hell we're talking about. Let's start with the first thing that caught my attention. Mixing top country hits in about two to three hours using a template. Correct. That you've developed over a number of years. Tell me a little bit about that template concept. I needed to find a way to speed up my workflow back in the day. So I was missing out on the finer things in life, you know, marriage, raising the kids, playing outside with them, all that good stuff. You know, sunshine, going to the lake. You know, most studio engineers are locked in darkness from 8 a.m. till 11 p.m. at night, you know, and we mm. basically are vampires. <laughs> so I was like, there's got to be a better and a faster way. And so what I ended up doing was figured out how to take my most 
current mix that I was happy with and apply that to my next mix and basically just strip the audio out of it, import the new song's audio into it, and I was 85% of the way there already. So even to this day, my latest template is my most favorite song that I've done recently that I think sounds good. That's, well, maybe not my favorite, but the one that I think sounds the best. And that's what I just apply. And then every day I come in, if I figure out something new or some cool new plugin or a trick, I'll just add that into the template. And then it just almost kind of builds and builds and builds on each other. And pretty soon you've got, you know, 20 years underneath your belt of working this template where now I can actually load in the audio and I will clip gain up because I know exactly how big the waveforms have to be in order to hit the compressors to make a certain sound or to pump them back down. So I tell, this is tongue in cheek totally, but it's like I had a client come in the other day and he goes, dude, you just look at it and it mixes itself now. You don't even listen to it anymore. (laughs) So I'm like, well, not quite, but you know, I can get us pretty close by just loading it in. So that's the evolution of how I figured out how to work fast. You're working on an older Pro Tools 10 rig, if I am correct. Yes. I've got an Argosy desk that's housing an old Pro Control that I've just sat in front of since day one. And I love the height where the speakers sit. It's actually, they're not decoupled. They're just sitting on the the Argosy console and Uh the tweeters shoot over my head. So it doesn't fatigue me as fast. I mix a lot of songs in a day and I had to figure out how to not get fatigued either. So the tweeters actually shoot over my head, but I'll actually lean up and put my chest against the console. And if it's rumbling a certain way, I know the low end's right. So it's just, (laughs) it's almost like getting, you know, having a a familiar old pair of socks or something. Yeah. Do you ever bump up against any technology upgrade issues with your rig and your desire to maybe get a new plug-in where maybe it's not compatible with Pro Tools 10? So far, no. But yes, I did when I was on. I was on Pro Tools 8 up till about three years ago. So I'm a total creature of habit. If something works and it's not broke, I'm not going to let technology slow me down. I'm just going to find what works. And then somebody once said, what's your favorite plug-in? And I've j- jokingly pointed to my ears. So basically, I want to find something that works, and then I'm going to develop my skills around that as far as putting me farther down the road. Because I know a plug-in is not going to make me a better or worse engineer. You know, it's going to make me a better or worse engineer is practice, you know, and learning new things. Obviously, your clients respond to what you give them, the product of what you give them. And my favorite analogy is, is they like the meal that you're serving up. They don't care what stove you cooked it on or what pans and pots you used. But when it's revealed that you have this kind of fast way of working, do you ever get pushback from clients? Like, how'd you get that done so fast? At first I did, but then I realized that I could actually turn a negative, what was perceived as a negative into a positive. So what I did was say... I'm contracted to mix a song. You know, there's usually a certain allotted time for recalls and all that. If I get my job done faster, I put those extra time for the clients to come in, hang out, extra tweaks, take more time, get them more involved with it. So I tell everybody, it doesn't take me a half hour to EQ a kick drum. It takes me about 15 seconds, you know, just because I've got some samples I know that work. I've heard them on the radio. It feels good. So I'm just going to pop those in. I'm actually going to get my part of the mixing done faster because 
every single client has recalls and tweaks. They want to be part of it. And plus they have a vision. You know, I might not necessarily see the complete vision. I can get them most of the way there, but the most important part of making a record is tweaking it to their satisfaction. So mm. if I can give the producers and the client or the artists or the songwriters more time, why not? You know, that, that sounds like a win-win for everybody. Everybody loves being in the studio, so why not hang out longer, you know? I'm also under the impression from the two podcasts and the, and the article that I read that you are somewhat flexible with your rate. You're not a one price, if you can't meet my price, you can't come in the door kind of guy. No, I, uh, I get paid one price from major labels, and even that varies. Golly, there's some labels that pay me $500 more than other labels do, you know? But I've got independent prices. I've got a price that I usually do for uh, all my Canadian friends. I do a lot of mixing for uh, some Canadian acts. And their dollar is different than our dollar. So I've adjusted that. But I tell everybody, I just love to mix. You know what I mean? As long as I'm working, I don't care if I'm getting paid my minimum or my maximum. You know, at the end of the year, it all adds up. It's all basically paid practice. I'm getting paid to practice every day, you know? <laughs> so I love mixing. And I tell everybody we will definitely work, work it out, you know? And where do you draw the line there? Uh, I won't. I, I have had a minimum price for songwriters here in Nashville who have kept my kids in tennis shoes from day one. You know what I mean? They're the lifeblood of the music business in Nashville. And I have a price that I would do for songwriters. And as long as I don't go below that, I'll mix for you all day long. And the minimum that I have is shockingly cheaper than you would imagine me doing. You know what I mean? But like I said, I would rather be in the studio mixing four or five of those, which add up to almost a master anyway, rather than sitting on the couch at home, you know, sucking the salt off Fritos, waiting for the phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard you say that inevitably, some point during the year, there will be a lull and you do get a little stressed when the phone doesn't ring. Absolutely. Apparently you have a conversation with your wife that you say you're you're done. It's over. Usually every January and half of February, the dream dies. Billy Decker's done. He's moving to Florida. He's going to start digging palm tree holes for a living, you know? <laughs> and she's like, whoa, pump the brakes. This happens every year. And every year I get stressed out. It's inevitable. When you're self-employed, if your phone's not ringing, you get stressed out. So mm -hmm. what I try to do is I picked up a woodworking hobby. So I just go out in the garage, I build farm tables, cutting boards, I've got little logos. I try to just keep busy doing that so I don't notice the phone not ringing. And when you stop worrying about it, all of a sudden the phone starts ringing and you get calls again. And it's halfway through February, the phone has started ringing. So it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing once again. The lull is gone. <laughs> Let's talk about the Decker board. And for those that are listening, the Decker board is essentially, you make cutting boards. Yeah, it's just a fun hobby. My wife asked me way back when uh, she was like, we need a new cutting board. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try to make one. I'm bored. I had nothing to do. So I literally went out in the garage and got on YouTube. You know, there's the, the king of cutting board is this dude called MTM Wood on YouTube. And he's this Russian guy. You've probably heard through a bunch of other podcasts. I'm famous for like cold calling people back in the day, you know? So I just cold called this Russian cutting board guru and he gave me a couple pointers, tips and tricks. And Chris Ordalgi is one of my heroes. Kevin Cherko is one of my engineering heroes, but my cutting board hero is Andre over in Russia. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. But basically what I do is I like to give them away to a lot of my clients that uh, mm -hmm. I work for. A lot of times... 
producers and A&R people, we don't get recognized behind the scenes people. So I've almost started like a little tradition where I'll give a couple cutting boards away uh, at the end of a session to some select folks, you know, maybe a manager or something like that. And I got to thinking, you know, every night, everybody has to eat. So they're in their kitchen and they're sitting there chopping and my name is sitting right on the cutting board. So I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If a new record pops up or they're thinking about somebody they need to call, all of a sudden they're cutting and it's like, oh, let's call Decker. Yeah, what a great idea. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm figuring you're the last person somebody thinks about is probably going to be the one that gets the gig. So if I'm uh, sitting on their kitchen counter at 10 o'clock at night, you know, being used to chop food, maybe, uh -huh. I'll, maybe I'll be that guy. Who knows? Now, the other thing that you've mentioned in the past, too, is Facebook is good for bragging on your kids and bragging on yourself. Correct. And all the other stuff is just a big waste of time getting into political uh, battles with old high school friends and such. <laughs> it's just uh, white noise. You make a point of, of definitely pushing out social media posts. In uh, Nashville, nobody uses business cards. Everything is word of mouth. So before social media... Word of mouth would be me going out to number one parties, uh, award ceremonies, stuff like that. You just need to see and be seen going out to the bars, maybe having a couple drinks. But boy, that can just wear you down fast and start costing a lot of money, to be honest with you. So then when social media came along, I know like in the rock and pop world, Instagram is pretty big with the younger folks. But in country, Facebook, for some reason, is still the top platform to reach. I don't know if it's because... There's an older demographic associated with country or what, but Facebook right now seems to be the, the best way to let people know what I'm working on and what I'm doing. If I'm working on a record, I try to maybe grab a photo with the artist, my, you know, in the studio with my arm around him or something like that, and just say, hey, working on what, like yesterday I was mixing Uncle Cracker's new record. So I was just about going to make a snippet and just say, hey, everybody, say hi to Cracker for me or something, you know, come up with something goofy right. to say. But it's just a way to let people know what you're doing and to try to stay relevant. When you first started mixing, and you really started to get into it in Nashville. I'm just curious about that buildup of what, you know, you're up here now, but you weren't always up here. So when you were a little lower on the totem pole, oh, I'm how did you I'm start? I'm still low on the totem pole. <laughs> I've, just got, I've you. just got you convinced <laughs> through Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you start to adjust your prices and, and try to become ingrained in the, in the world of, of Nashville? Well, the funny thing is, is my demo price has stayed the same since day one. So that price that I told you is my minimum. That has been my price since probably 2000. So mm. it's always been the same. But basically what happened is I got my start with an artist named Rodney Atkins. And it came through his producer hearing a demo that I had mixed. And when they heard the demo, they were working with, uh, I think it was Mike Shipley at the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Shipley Mike had Shipley. Uh, produced, I think, five sides on Rodney. I mean, obviously, Mike is, good Lord, one of my all-time heroes, you know? And uh, something happened, and they just finished the sides, and they ended up just having, a, I think, a difference of opinion and wanted to go a little different direction. The producer called me up and said, hey, I heard this demo that you did. Would you be interested in taking a shot for free on a Rodney Atkins song? And, you know, Mike works on a big console, it was SSL and all that stuff. I'm like, well, I'm in Pro Tools. Uh, I kind of got my little thing going on. If you want to give it a shot, I'd love to do it. 
So they sent me the song. I did it. They sent it to the A&R people and the artists. And they were like, this is great. Let's let's use him again. And all of a sudden that turned into me doing remixing all the stuff that Mike had done. Mike produced it, but I ended up remixing it for the Honesty album. And that led to me doing Steve Holy's record, another client that was on the label with Rodney. The producer heard what I was doing and the A&R staff steered him over to me. So that just started taking off and off and off. And then I tell everybody, you're as good as the last thing you do. So in our profession, we can't have a bad day or a bad mix because you're going to be judged on that. That's your calling card. So I really liked working on Pro Tools because I could recall it at a a moment's notice, you know, just like snapping up a word processor or a word document. I mixed 100% entirely in the box from day one and I still am there today. No outboard gear. And it allowed me to go back and back and I could tweak my mixes endless amounts of time, you know, run out to the car, check them, come back in. And I just really liked that flexibility and the freedom. And and then that just turned into a speed thing. I started to Hmm. get really busy and had to get stuff done. And that's when I started figuring out the template thing. And then boom, you know, here I am today. So do you do unlimited revisions? Yes. Yeah. And I tell the clients, I go until you're happy. If I tell you that you're going to be like, whew, good. Now I don't have to like super stress out here because I only got three tries to get this right. And you know what? I actually hardly ever get worn out. Nobody ever takes advantage of it just because that puts them in a whole different state of mind. And they're like, hey, I can call Decker two weeks from now and he'll like turn up that guitar riff for me and rebounce it. I mean, it'll take him three minutes out of his day, you know? And that reduces the client's stress. And therefore it seems to, they seem to like to mix and have less tweaks that way. Ironically enough, you would think it would have created like this huge firestorm but it's actually worked to my benefit. Do you feel that any of your methods threaten other Nashville engineers' way of working? No, no, not at all. I think people call certain engineers in this town because they want a certain thing, uh, a certain sound or a certain personality. So I'm big on customer service and stuff. I'm kind of known as the, you can kick me in the nuts guy and I'll say, thank you, may I have another, you know? (laughs) So for lack of a better term, sorry, mom. Don't mean to be gross or rude. But no, I, I, I think people will call me if they want what I do, and then they'll call one of my other buddies in town or one of the other engineers, you know? So, And a lot of times uh, we'll refer other guys over to something. So I've actually had somebody call me and say, hey, I got three songs I want you to mix. And then I actually listened to one and was like, boy, that's really not my wheelhouse. You know, I can do it, but I got a buddy who's really good at that, you know? And sure wow. enough, they called him and he got the gig for that one song, you know? So it's like, hey, that's cool, you know? Maybe he'll refer me to something that he doesn't particularly think is maybe his strongest point. So it'll come around, pay it forward, you know, it, it comes around. How do you handle the storage of all these client mixes for the long term if you're like willing to do revisions so far down the line? I've got a closet, uh, a machine room. It's probably got 26 hard drives. 500 to a terabyte big in there. So I usually try to keep everything for just about three months or until it's backed up for the client. And then I will take it off. But I've got so many hard drives over the years. I've just, I try to keep everybody's stuff as long as I can. But obviously, you know, I think I mixed a thousand songs last year, 800, something like that. So yeah, it does take up a lot of space. Damn. That's a lot of songs. Well, you figure, I mean, back in the the heyday from probably 98 all the way up to about 2010, 
I would literally come in and I'd do between five and seven songs a day. So, I mean, do the math. That's wow. say seven times five, because uh, I just work five days a week. So that's 35 and then times that by four. So then times that by 12. So, yeah. you know, and that's, 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 that's literally almost, uh, that was almost every day for everybody in Nashville, you know, back in the, the big, big heyday of, uh, doing demos and all that good stuff. You know, now it's because of Spotify and all the streaming stuff. A lot of the publishers have pulled back a bit. A lot of the writers are just doing a lot of their demos on their laptops and stuff, you know, and just cranking out a, a finished product mm. uh, right then and there when they write. So the demo business has slowed down as far as the go in, do f a writer does five songs, then sings and then sends them to a mixer. But ironically, I had my best year ever last year when everybody was going, oh, yeah, the music business is down. It's, you know, oh, it's tanking. There's no money, blah, blah, blah. I had my best year ever, so go figure. Why don't, do you think that is? I don't know. I did uh, a couple more records than I usually do, you know, big budget records, so that adds to the bottom line. But I've started to do a lot of independent stuff, and a lot of that has come through people contacting my website or seeing an, uh, a, or hearing a podcast or seeing an article and I get a lot of just inquiries, you know, just people hitting me up on Facebook, say, hey, I heard you did this or saw your name on this. Would you be interested in doing a project for us? And what are your rates, you know? And then I just kind of go through my whole spiel and say, you know, this is what I do and this is what we can do. And uh, it seems to work out, you know? Well, now I imagine in Nashville, especially in Nashville, uh -huh. there's, a, there's a level of consistency of tracks that you're getting. I mean... I, I've been to Nashville. I've, I've, I have many friends in Nashville. I know that there's a hell of a lot of talent there. Right. Great, great players, writers, producers. People know how to arrange a song and lay it out well. So when you're dealing with independence from other parts of the world, other parts of the country, is that more of a challenge? Do you not have that same consistency? And how does that work against your template? Uh, the template actually works. I tell everybody or almost everybody, as long as it's not distorted, I can probably make it work. Uh, everything in Nashville comes to me pristine, obviously. I mean, there's guys that do this every day, all day, and the world-class musicians, you know, with the best tones and sounds. And a lot of times, if I get something from somewhere not in Nashville, I will still take the go the extra mile and perhaps lock a drum kit for somebody that, you know, I've got, say, for instance, uh, Miles McPherson is the top session drummer in town this last year. And dude plays right on with a click. I mean, he's rarely ever even a millisecond off, you know, whereas somebody might be pushing and pulling in a different part of the country that just is not as in practice as his and doesn't do it every day. I'll go ahead and lock that drum kit because I can lock a drum kit almost as fast as I can mix a song, you know, if obviously faster. But I've got to remember that, like I said, I'm as good as the last thing I've done. So even if it's a small time little label for somebody in, say, Idaho or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's got to sound every bit as good as my latest record on the radio. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. So I will go the extra mile regardless of the dollar amount and just make it as good as I possibly can. If I need to tune the vocal, if they didn't have tuning stuff, if there's some pocketing issues. I mean, I've just, I've been doing this for so long. I've almost just got a system down where I just start and just try to make it as great as possible regardless, you know? Do you have people send you rough mixes first so you can kind of evaluate or do you just say, nah, send it to me, I'll mix it? Uh, both, both. A lot of times people will say, hey, this is kind of what we got. And I'll say, okay, cool. You know, uh, 
and I'll hear like an effect. They have like a telephone effect or something on the second verse. So that will, you know, if they didn't print it, you know, commit it to audio, then I know to put that on. A lot of times I'll just get the session, a Pro Tools session. That's basically the rough mix ready to go, you know. So I'll take a sneak peek at it and then save it, do a save as so I can always get back to it and reference something that the artist or the client has. And then I'll just put my spin on it and, and go for broke. And you don't have a manager either, do you? No, no. I've never really been approached and have never found one that, uh, if, if I tell you what, if I had a manager, if there was somebody out there that wanted to manage me, I would want them to bring me work or get me something that I already couldn't get on my own. You know, I love rock music. So if I could find a manager that could bring me something from that genre, I'd be all in, you know. But usually I find when there's managers, all they do is manage what you've currently got on your own and just help ease the streamline the process, you know. So far, I haven't needed it, you know. Do you take points on the mixes that you do or just get straight up cash? Straight up cash, straight up cash. So I know there are some super mixers, if you will, that get points, but yeah. I'm not a super mixer. I've never gotten points. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about negotiating a price for a mix. Do you do you just say these are my rates for these particular, you know, major label, independent demos, songwriters, and stick with that as as the negotiating point? All right. Let's play a little game. You okay. get, you got a band. You okay. called you called and asked me. You say, Hey, I love what you do. I want to do that. I'll say, you know what? I heard your stuff. It's really good. I've got all the way from demo price, all the way up to master price. Where do you want this to come in at? What do you feel comfortable at? And do you just say, where do you fit in there? Well, a lot of times I'll just let you lead the conversation because I don't want to undercut myself and say, hey, I'll mix, my demo price is 200 bucks a song, right? Okay. Uh, and I've been paid all the way up to 2,500 a mix. Okay. So I don't want to cut myself short. You know, if you were like hoping to get something done for, say you're an indie artist, you know, and you like, I got 400 bucks a song. I'm not going to say, Hey, you know, I'll do it for 200. I'm going to ask you what you would rather have it done for. And then if you say 400, I'll say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. You know, and that includes me, the studio, unlimited recalls. I'll even stem out your project and, uh, bounce down all your versions and we'll get it set up with a click so you can play live in Ableton too, you know, because that takes me about 30 minutes after we're done. So you get all that for that price. Wow. Yeah. And that includes mix minus lead vocal, yep. TV Everything. type mixes. Yep. Okay. And then uh, a lot of times uh, I'm on file at labels like most of the guys are, and they just have standard rates they pay engineers in town. So we just invoice it. They just send us, you know, checks. But yeah, it's all over the map. So I mean, there's people that pay me a thousand bucks to mix a song, 700, 800, 200, 400, 500. Okay. Wide variety there. Work for whiskey. Send me a bottle of whiskey. I'll mix Send your song. <laughs> but make it a big bottle, <laughs> a really big bottle. <laughs> and I'll do a really good job for you. Send two bottles. There you go. Billy Decker here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to take a sponsor break for a second, talk about our friends from Audio Technica. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about uh, vintage gear and new gear. And they were talking about how vintage gear is great, but 
they can't afford to be down at any point. And so new gear is really where it was at for them. So if you're looking for some new and robust, well-built products, uh, especially in the world of microphones, head on over to audio-technica.com and check out what our friends over there have to offer. Of course, you know, they are the, the kings of great headphones. So uh, be sure and check those out as well. And that's it. Let's get back on over to our interview with Billy Decker here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I want to talk to you a little bit about work-life balance. In terms of uh, making time for, as you say, the finer things, do you just set your rules and that's that's that? Do people question that and say, oh, man, come on, I need you to work on a Sunday or a Saturday or till 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, usually uh, I just say, you know, I usually don't work on weekends. So especially when the kids were younger. Now that they're older, I've got uh, one in college and one senior in high school and then on her way to college next year. Uh, so I'll come in later in the morning since I'm not driving them to school anymore. And then I'll try to avoid rush hour because Nashville's really blown up lately and traffic is just awful. So I'll actually try to stay about an hour later and avoid rush hour rather than sitting on the interstate for an hour, you know, but I usually don't work weekends. So I've always, my dad always instilled in me when I was a kid, he was like, work hard and play hard, you know? So when you're off, Enjoy it, but when you're working, be serious and stick to it. You're a cancer survivor. I am. How did that change your perspective on life and your work and uh, how you approach things? I told this story on a Facebook post I made. I decided to keep it under wraps. After thinking about it, I could not figure out a way where I wouldn't lose work. Let's put it that way. Say you and I are friends. You'd be like, oh, Billy's got cancer. He's probably going through a lot. Let's not bother him. You know, I'd mm. lose work. Or you got people that are like, Decker's got cancer. He's going through chemo. There ain't no way in hell we're calling him. He's, he wouldn't be in his right frame of mind. I'd lose work. So I couldn't figure out how not to lose work. So I decided to sit quiet. I went to the beach in June of this last year and thought I got bit by something in the ocean and my underarm kind of swelled up. And I came home and three weeks later, it was like I had a tennis ball underneath my left arm. It was huge. Yeah. And it was my lymph node just had like swelled up huge. So I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, we've seen this. You're, this is not good. You're not going to like what we say. They biopsied it. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. And I joke and tell everybody that I got the Dollar General variety of cancer just because, you know, it wasn't like the pancreatic cancer or the brain cancer. I've had a friend, I lost a very dear friend to that. This one they can fix, you know. Uh, and the way they fix it is to pump chemotherapy into you. Uh, they don't cut it out because it's part of your uh, your immune system, your lymph nodes. So they just want to shrink them. So I went in and obviously one of the drugs makes you lose your hair. So I shaved my head and uh, I basically didn't miss a day of work. By the grace of God, I had zero side effects for the most part. You know, you're always hearing about people being real nauseated or sick fatigue, you know, the only thing I did was my taste buds went kind of crazy for about two weeks, felt like everything I had a cold. And you know, when you have a cold, you can't really taste anything. So you're like dumping tons of salt and pepper on everything, then it would come back that third week just in time to get poisoned again for the next round. <laughs> so but other than that, you know, the day after I got shot with chemo the first time I was out trying to mow the grass until my wife yelled at me. She's like, what are you doing? Are you insane? They just dripped all that, those drugs and you get inside here, relax. Uh, I don't know why. I just, I guess I had it easy. I didn't miss a day of work and I was able to keep it under wraps. So 
as far as what it did, it it uh, it really makes you just stop and go, whoo, you know what? Somebody calls and say on a Friday and says, hey, you know, I got to have this by tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's the music business, you know? It's okay. We can turn it in first thing Monday. The music business does not work on the weekend. It'll be okay. So, and it almost makes you just not sweat the small stuff, you know? When, When a doctor says, hey, there's a chance you might die if we don't put chemotherapy in you, you know, and if this doesn't work. And you just stop and you go, oh, yeah, you know? Now I get it. I get what... I think is important, you know, and you kind of just have a new appreciation for things. And probably the the biggest change is it just makes you want to be nice to people, you know, and be a nice guy. So if somebody, I mean, I've always answered questions and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I literally try to go out of my way to help somebody or to be nice to them now, you know, I don't know what it is. It's just when you have that late night conversation with your maker, you know, and it's just like, I think he gives you a little bit of the secret into life, you know, or the secret of life, just a little bit. And yeah, uh, it just, it just kind of wakes you up, you know, makes you appreciate things a little more. I don't know. There's like a, you seem unaffected by just the, the pressure of that can come in the music business. That's because I'm probably just an idiot. I don't know any better. <laughs> Well, whatever it is, it's obviously it's working. Uh, you're working all the time. Uh, I like the, your method of working. It seems smart. To quote you, we're not trying to put a, a man on the moon. We're trying to get him on the radio. It's almost like the just don't take yourself that seriously. Remember, at the end of the day, we're not curing cancer. You know what I mean? We're just yeah. we're trying to be part of the entertainment industry and make people smile. You know, maybe take their mind off some crappy thing that happened to them for three minutes, you know? How do you handle gear lust? Yeah. And how do you balance that if that's whether that's an issue or not? How do you handle your your thoughts on money management? Two things. As far as gear lust, what I have done is I'm interested in possibly speeding up my workflow. So I've been doing a lot with uh Joey Sturgis, uh Unstoppable Recording Machine, JST. And we're actually doing a, a bus glue series on me. He just came out with the new bus glue plugins. We're actually going to do, a, if you will, a Billy Decker signature series. And I'm excited about that just because I get to streamline myself. You know, I've never really gone in and had to dissect myself in order to make a plugin work. And mm-hmm. so I'm kind of curious to see what I learn out of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's fun working with him because I've also given him a couple other ideas of plugins that can possibly help a lot of people that aren't out there yet. And the ideas have never been tried really. And so I'd rather build something, you know, maybe it's my woodworking thing. I just like to make things, but I would rather try to create something rather than go out and buy something. For the audience, Joey actually was on Working Class Audio on episode long ago, number 63. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. Funny story. A friend of mine showed me the unstoppable or the nail the mix thing they do. And uh, I joined up and like a week later, I was just fascinated with that whole genre. You know, the big drums, larger than life guitars is just awesome. You know, I love that format. Uh, even though I work in the country market, I just love hard rock and metal, you know. So anyway, about a week later, I get a phone call uh, from Ohio. And it was Joey Sturgis on the phone. He's like, this is Joey Sturgis. Is this Billy Decker? I said, yeah. He goes, why did you sign up for our Nail the Mix? Why did you subscribe? He goes, he goes, you've got more number ones than anybody here. You know, first of all, 
I'm going to sign you up for Nail the Mix. I'm going to give your money back. And would you like to be on Nail the Mix instead of subscribing to it? <laughs> so from that point on, he and I just hit it off. You know what I mean? And he's actually one of my heroes, him and Joel and Eall that run the whole thing. I usually will talk to them a couple times a week. Those guys are like my heroes as mixers and kind of being in that format. So anytime I get something that's not country, I'll do a mix and I'll send it to those guys and I'll say, what do they do? Usually uh, Joel will send back, turn up the kick drum, damn it. So it's just, it, it's kind of neat to be able to bounce stuff off friends in other genres, you know what I mean? That are yeah. truly your friends that will tell you the truth, you know, that won't just go, oh yeah, it sounds good, great. They'll be like, dude, you got to distort the bass. Come on, this is metal, you know, this is not country. <laughs> Put a sans amp on the top of the bass, split it, you know, high pass the low, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Okay, thanks. <laughs> Fascinated by that, that, that you as, as somebody who's really strong in the world of country is, has these friends in the world of metal. I love that. I, I am hoping to someday bridge that gap. Pop has infiltrated country, as you know. Uh, there's a lot of programming stuff that's infiltrated country, a lot of hip-hop, R&B. The only thing that hasn't been done yet is to cross metal, you know, double kick drums with a banjo. So I've actually got something in the works. You'll probably hear it soon, but uh, I think it'll work. I think there, there are people out there that'd be like, oh, wow, that guitar is detuned to B? That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as managing money, being an engineer, you're 100% self-employed. I have yeah. been from day one. My best advice was don't ever try to uh, get behind on your taxes. That'll stick you in the hole. You know, stay on top of paying quarterly taxes. Get a good accountant or a tax guy that will make you aware of all the write-offs you have. If you buy a piece of gear, you can depreciate a certain amount. If you have a studio, you can uh, write off a lot of uh, a percentage of like your paper towels, cleaning supplies, snacks. Uh, so yeah, get a good tax guy that knows the music business. And uh, probably the most important thing is there's always going to be, it's like a roller coaster. You're going to have good years and bad years. So in your good years, try to put as much away in a retirement account as you can. So when you're out of style or out of vogue, we all do just like artists, you know, you're hot for a while and then all of a sudden you're done, you know, after you're 15 minutes of fame, whether that be five, 10 or 15 year run or 20, who knows, you know, try to set yourself up so you don't have to worry about it. You know, yeah, that, that would be my best advice. So Billy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I've learned a lot from reading this sound on sound article and I will put links to my friends podcasts in the show notes because yeah. I want them to hear the, the breadth of, of questions that people have asked you, because I certainly didn't ask you everything, but a lot of this is already well documented through some other people's shows. So, hey, let me make one note. Uh, I yeah. misspoke uh, unbeknowingly in Bobby's podcast, and I called him and he changed it, but I thought I was the first guy to get a number one in 2006 mixed all in the box and bounced to disc, and I was wrong. Uh, Ed C beat me by about four years. So... Shout out to one of my heroes. Ed C got the first number one. I got the second one. <laughs> but he got the first one. He got the first. Well, he probably got the second and the third one. So I'm probably like fourth or fifth. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that's I, still pretty I, good. I just wanted to correct the record for that because he's okay. a good dude. I looked up to him mixing and I didn't want to take any credit away from that. You know what I mean? That's that's a cool 
bragging right thing and i want to make sure he gets all the credit so i'll i'll take fourth or fifth behind him any day not a big deal well excellent so as we sign off here just want to say thank you i appreciate you coming on and taking the time it's a pleasure to talk with you you've been an inspiration to me very recently and i i tend to stay on top of what you're doing and follow you well thank you and just remember i will never tell you what to do but if you ever want to know what not to do hit me up. I can probably save you a lot of headache <laughs> and a lot of nights on the couch. You know what I mean? With a mad wife or a mad, yeah. or a mad client, you know? Let Absolutely. Me know. I'll tell you what not to do. Well, I'm sure I'll be in Nashville again. I was there over the last summer at NAMM. Uh, I'll, I'll look you up. I'll hit you up and we'll go have a, we'll go have a drink. Please do. Uh, we're famous for Tennessee whiskey and hot chicken. So on me if you uh, stop in. <laughs> both things I had when I was last there. So I will I will partake again. Excellent. 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 Well, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Billy Decker here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that one. A completely different way of doing things. Definitely inspiring to me. And I hope it was inspiring to you. Uh, before we go, I do want to encourage you to stop by and visit our sponsors who make the show possible. That includes Gearsluts.com, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Focal Monitors, and Lawton Audio. We are out of time, so we got to thank everybody. And that includes Mr. Cliff Truesdale, Mr. Cole Williams, and Mr. Chuck Smith. And of course, we want to thank you for listening today. Tell your friends, spread the word, and like I always say, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.